It's time to embrace your inner O. Join GL Datus on his spiritual, personal development and self-help journey to enjoy a more vibrant and purposeful life with help from some of the world leading authors and experts in the mind, body and spirit field. So sit back, relax and enjoy the O People podcast. Find your inner O with the O People podcast. Hello, my name is Gavin Lee Davis, your host on this journey to find your inner O. O People are incredible people that are on a journey of discovery. O People have tapped into spiritual enlightenment, ancient teachings, motivational, inspirational energies, and have expanded their consciousness to embrace so many wondrous possibilities. The O People are here to guide us, to support us and help open our minds and embrace the life we have been given. These are people that have learned to make positive changes and some of these people have suffered tremendous ordeals of pain, loss, grief and depression but have reached for the light and become stronger for it. You too can find your inner O with the love, the teachings and experiences that these O People give you. Anyone can be an O person and these authors, motivators and teachers will help you find self-love, inspiration and empowerment. Welcome to the O People podcast and your journey to find your inner O. For more information on our O people and their work, visit www.o-books.com. And if this series motivates or inspires you, please visit our Patreon page and tip us $1 or £1 to support the series. And I will put you into a prize draw for a chance to win an O book every month. So visit www.patreon.com forward slash O people podcast. That's www.patreon.com O people podcast. Please support us. It will mean so much to keep this series running. So for our first episode, let's discover why I'm on my journey looking for my inner O. On this episode, what if the after effects of a near death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high quality paintings of the afterlife, they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Meet David Ditchfield. David is the author of the new book that is Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train journey to the afterlife and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. This is an incredible story of hope, courage and endurance. Let's meet David. David, I don't wish to sound ghoulish, but we need to address the elephant in the room. What happened that day at Huntington Station in Cambridgeshire, UK? Okay, well, um, I was seeing a friend off. I'd been staying at my sister's for a couple of weeks. I was just, I'd come up from London and I needed to get a break. You know, I was i was um, going through pretty hard times. I'd hit rock bottom, basically, in my life. So I was up there chilling out at my sister's and a friend that I just met came up to see me. So I was seeing her off on the train i helped her on with the bags gave her a hug and a kiss and then we heard the emergency door buzzers go and she said oh you better get off i said yeah don't worry i'm going and i as i stepped back the bottom half of my sheepskin coat that i was wearing got caught in the closing doors and they were like they just slammed to the automatic doors and i couldn't release the coat at all it was completely jammed in there so i turned around and shouted for help hoping there'd be a guard on the platform but there wasn't there was no guard at all in fact there was only one other guy who was stood there who was uh, seeing off his partner as well and uh, he said take your jacket off mate you know just take it off and uh, I knew there was no chance 
of doing that because this was like a real quality sheepskin and uh, it, it just wouldn't have come off because uh, because it was like the, the fur was going right the way down. I was wearing a jumper, you know, it was just it was it was just jammed on me, you know, it was just too heavy to take off. And so I started banging on, on the emergency button either side of the doors, hoping that would open them, and then nothing happened. And so I started hitting on the glass, hoping there may be a guard on the train, but nobody turned up. So I just looked into my friend Anna's eyes, and we just stared at each other. And I just saw the look of horror on her face, because we thought, this is it, I'm jammed. I'm, I'm, and the, and the, the engine started to rev up on the train, and it started pulling out the station. And as it did, I thought, well, this is it. You know, I'm going to die. This is this is this is the end for me. It pulled off along the platform at great speed. You know, that they they really go at tremendous uh, acceleration, and you don't realise it until you're on the outside of a train itself. I lost my footing, and I got dragged along the platform. And then next thing I knew, I was pulled down between the the gap of the platform edge and the actual train itself, and I got sucked right in. And I went down. And I just heard this tremendous rip at that point. And then I, I saw, I looked up and it was like the carriage door seemed to disappear into the sky. And I was suddenly pulled into this darkness and then I was just tossed around like a rug doll. And I was bouncing from pillar to post, as it were, you know. And I was fully conscious throughout the whole ordeal. Next thing I knew, I was just kind of like, sort of like thrown to the ground. And I was like lying in between the track as the train was still rattling over my head. And I just remember this darkness and just smelling the oil in the track, you know, and the, this tremendous racket above me. And I thought, it's not over yet. You know, part of the undercarriage could just come and whack me over the back of the head, you know, and that would be it. So I just kept my head down and just... I just remembered all the Bond movies I'd seen and uh, <laughs> and uh, him being in that kind of situation. I thought, just keep your head down. That's what Bond would have done, you know. And I did. It probably did save me, uh, in all fairness. The train finally moved on. All that horrific noise just kind of suddenly dispersed into the, into the distance. And it was a, I just lay there and looked up at the sky and it was a beautiful blue sky. And I was just looked at that sky and thought, wow. I'm alive. I've survived. I can believe it. Yeah. So that's absolutely horrific. I cannot even begin to imagine not just the experience, but the fear, the, the pure panic and terror. And I could imagine these things just happen so quickly and then it's over and you've just got this sense of, of relief. What was it like to stare death in the face? And I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been dragged under the wheels of a speeding train. Well, interestingly enough, uh, time's dragged out. It's not like it goes in slow motion. The rail police did a massive inquiry on it. You know, they took the, the carriage all the way down to, to London and stripped it down to the last rivet, they told me. But they also measured up and they said that it took seven and a half seconds from the point of the train pulling off and me going under. Now, that felt more like seven and a half minutes because I was thinking it all through in my head. I, I went into survival mode, I guess. And a part of me just, I remembered seeing this news item where a small child had been thrown from a three-story apartment block uh, from a, that was on fire. And that child survived without any injuries. And they said, they put it down to the fact that young infants are totally relaxed. So when they land, they don't sort of break any bones. So I put myself into that mode. I just thought, just relax now. So that's what I did. So as I got pulled under, I just went into this, try to relax. And, and so the other thing is as well, is actually... Looking death in the face is actually not as bad as you think. It's not as yes, it's terrifying. It's really very, very terrifying. But I think that the anticipation is far worse. 
if you'd said to me before, you know, two minutes before that that point, you know, you're just about to be dragged along the, <laughs> the platform yeah. and underneath this train, I'd be going, what? No, it'd be far worse. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting state of mind. And, and there's nothing new about that. Yeah, I, I started watching programs, uh, you know, about the brain and how it works. And apparently that does happen when people are just literally thrown into a, a cliff edge, that, the, that their mind kind of like gets time to process what's going on. That doesn't undermine the, the sheer horror of it all. It was very horrific and uh, very, very frightening. Did you experience severe injuries? I, my left arm was severed. Um, from, from oh. the elbow down and and that's one of the first things I noticed because I remember seeing that this this very high quality sheepskin coat that I talked of uh, that I couldn't release from the door was now shredded you know all the way down the arm it was just completely shredded and then I just saw my arm was completely ripped open and uh, took the worst part of it all but in all fairness, again, the rail police couldn't understand it. You know, that they actually said to me once they finished their inquiries a year later, they said, we can't get it. We're all banging our heads together here. You should be dead. You should not have survived that at all. You know, there's no way you should have survived. <laughs> but obviously I knew by that point that um, I'd had a far more greater spiritual experience that, that I figured uh, saved me that day. And there was something far greater. Was there any cctv footage that you that recorded the incident or anything you were allowed to see yeah yeah they did oh. they did recorded the whole thing and um in fact the rail police said um are you okay to watch this back you know to, and <laughs> to give evidence or whatever you know and i agreed at first and then i, I remember turning up and uh and i said look i can't do this you know there's no way i can watch this back and they said no that's fine we get it I really didn't want to watch it back, you know, because um, I suffered an awful lot of um, post-traumatic stress disorder from 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 the whole the ordeal, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I'm really glad I never watched it because I know that that would have come back to to hit me. So, as a result of the accident, as a result of these horrific traumatic injuries you suffered in your book shine on you say you had a near-death experience you visited the afterlife. Now, That's everyone cool. wants to know what was it like there? What happened? Basically, what happened was, uh, by the time the the paramedics arrived and, and and peeled me off the track and got got me onto the, an ambulance, and I, I arrived in in the A and E department, uh, in the emergency department of the hospital. It was at that point that um, I started losing copious amounts of blood, and I, I could hear the doctors and consultants running around very frantically trying to save me. And I just remember I was in a lot of pain by then. And I just remember it just everything was on overkill, the, the lights, the noise, everything. And I suddenly went from that frantic place to a far more peaceful place. And it just happened really slowly but peacefully. And I was there. I was I thought I was in a darkened room at first. And I was just lay there and I suddenly realized there were these pulsating colours that were just all sort of like around me. I looked at these colours. They were like orbs, like giant orbs, and they were just like slowly pulsating, like yellows, oranges, greens, and blues. And I thought, where am I? Yeah. And uh, then I suddenly realized that I was laid on like a big, a huge piece of slate, like a big rock. It was like a like a medieval altar, if you like. And I was lay out on it, but it felt incredibly comfortable to be lay on this on this piece of rock. I pulled my head back, and I suddenly felt that there was 
a presence uh, with me, you know, like like there was somebody there. So I looked up and just at my feet and to my right, I saw this um, really beautiful androgynous being, you know, neither male or female, just stood at my feet, wearing like a very sort of like, you know, contemporary sort of black T-shirt, if you like, and just smiling at me. And this, like, when I say smiling, the, the eyes were smiling at me and I felt I'd known this being of light uh, for all of my life. In, if, in fact, for, for more than that, from beyond, you know, there was like a soulmate. And um, she she or he had this beautiful white blonde hair and then this, this glowing skin that was radiating light from within. And I felt a sense of calm and protection coming from this being. So I laid my head back and uh, as I did, I suddenly realized that there were three grids of um, light sort of floating above my head and I couldn't take my gaze away from this light because it was like a pure white sort of healing light I'd call it you know and it's it's the kind of bright light that normally you wouldn't be able to look into like you know like a bright electric light or even the sunlight you know it was that bright but I I could with this and I did I just didn't want to stop looking and I just let myself be bathed in this beautiful light for a while and it was at that point I thought you know this is it I'm dead and this this is the next stage um at which stage I had absolutely no sense of um you know fear or or regret I was quite happy to be there because it was a much better place than what I'd just come from and uh it was just really beautiful I'm lying there and then I suddenly felt the presence again that, that there was somebody else with me and so I looked up I, I lifted my head and I saw to either side of me two female forms and uh, one of them uh, white Caucasian and the other one was either Asian or American Indian and they were both just stood there and with their hands slowly hovering over my body and they were like healing me and I could feel this energy coming through their hands and it was just beautiful the only way i could describe it is just it's almost like a vibration like a, a of love like this pure unconditional love that was just feeding through to me and i thought what what is what's going on are they preparing me for something and i you know i had no idea i looked down at my body and i realized that um it, all my wounds were completely healed my left arm was back in place. Everything, everything was intact, you know, because I'd, I'd got no clothes on at that point, and I was just covered in this blue sheet. It was like a sort of like a really cool satin sheet that was just kind of protecting me. At that point, I thought, right, okay, if, if I'm dead, my family who'd already arrived in the emergency department are going to be like really distressed. They're going to be really distraught. You know, they were already in a bad place as it was. And uh, after what had happened, so I remember looking over my left shoulder, trying to look over the edge of this of this huge piece of slate, and I didn't actually see my family. But what I did see was this beautiful vision. It, was a, well, it wasn't a vision; it was a sight. It was a, a huge waterfall of stars, and it was like a massive arc, and these the stars were just cascading down. And as I looked, there was like shooting stars just falling through the middle and dropping down into what looked like other galaxies, you know, into infinity. Yeah, it was really, it was an amazing sight. It was just spectacular. Of course, I realized at that point that I actually wasn't in a small darkened room at all, that I was actually in the universe itself, you know, and that I was surrounded by stars. So finally, I, I took some time looking at this and then I, I pulled myself back over again. 
And as I did, I suddenly felt this energy of love that I was experiencing was suddenly turned up tenfold. And there was a new presence that was uh, within the uh, surrounding me. And what it was, was this, um, it was this huge tunnel of white light that was slowly closing in on me. And uh, this pure white light was just so intense, but it was, it was like surrounded by these kind of like these really powerful flames that were just rotating around uh, the actual light itself. There was no fear again, you know, of the flames and the fire, you know, it just, it was, it, it was all very peaceful. I just thought to myself, this is this is God. This is the source of all creation. This it's not you know the image of God that we're when we're, we're all used to seeing you know on the Vatican um, ceiling you know a, yeah. with a guy with a beard you know this is this is the, the source of all creation. I thought, and I just remember I just laughed to myself and just put my head back and as I lay back with that thought and with that feeling and I suddenly then found myself crashing back to earth. And and I was in the hospital, and, and I was there, and I was back into into my painful body, and all the agony was all immediately returned, and all the lights and the the noise were sounded even louder than before. There, so. <laughs> this is just absolutely incredible. I don't think in my entire life have I heard an account, and we haven't even got to half of it yet. So, when you were in this place. Mm. was there any communication whatsoever was there other voices in your head other communications going on or was it all just all silent up there yeah it was it was all silent uh, and and it was a lot of i felt a lot of education coming through uh, in in form of telepathy if you like you know that like for example my realization that this whole energy force was was that was the power of God, you know, that that was where it was all coming from. And I realized that after my NDE, when I came back, especially at the beginning, I felt like the part of me was still attached to that other world. And I felt like there was communication still coming through from that side, uh, which I now call channeling, um, you know, and so ideas and thoughts were coming through. Unlike, yes, some people do say that they, the, 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 their guides or what have you do communicate with them verbally but no not in my case that uh, there wasn't actually a verbal communication we will be right back after these important messages you are listening to the o people podcast o books aim to enlighten and inspire our readers so change your life today and visit www.o-books.com for more spirituality personal development mbs and self-help titles it's never too late to make positive changes to your life. So visit www.o-books.com today and explore a world of personal growth and positive teaching. What if the after effects of a near-death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high-quality paintings of the afterlife or if they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Read Shine On. The remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Read Shine On today on e-readers and wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com today. Does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Read Escaping from Eden today from wherever books are sold.
Become the alchemist of your world. In The Secret of the Alchemist, Colm Holland reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. Colm will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and how you can too. Read The Secret of the Alchemist today. Available from wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com to learn how you too can become the alchemist of your life. From your perception, from your belief, where would you say you had gone? Right, okay. I would say that I went on to the, on to the next stage of life, uh, the next stage of our journey, basically. You know, I'd never thought about death before. It never even came into my, into my sphere. You know, I just kind of carried on with my life. I was living a day-to-day hedonistic sort of existence, mm. you know. Now I realise that, um, you know, the, our souls are so powerful. We've all got powerful souls within us, you know. And there's no way that that when we die that, that the light switch goes off with everything. Yes, okay, I think that the, the body decays and, and dies afterwards, but our souls continue on. And that is the next stage. That is the next stage of where our souls begin the journey, you know. So it's it's just part of the journey, and it's uh, and it's a very positive um, part of the journey. It's really beautiful. Had you had any, let's just say, paranormal experiences prior to this? No, not at all. Uh, spirituality had not come into. Actually, there was one. This is very interesting. Actually, there was this only. There was only one incident, and this was like a, a few months prior to my accident uh i'd gone up to visit my sister uh, on another occasion just for the weekend and uh while i was on the train i i came across this old elder elderly couple who was sat opposite me and um we got chatting and the lady there said oh we're off to see a medium tonight and i was going oh, okay and uh, she was very keen on telling me all about it and i was very keen in not just keeping myself to myself but she ended up giving me like this little A5 flyer, like a small poster for me to keep. So, so I took that with me, put it in my pocket. And I remember I arrived at my sister's at a point and there was a lot going on. There was lots, lots of happening to my, my nephews and that she was sorting them out. And I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see this medium. So I went and uh, when I turned up, it was in a small spiritualist church. And I sat down and there was lots of people there who'd gone to get messages from loved ones who passed on and, and what have you. And uh, and I had no intention of looking for a, a message off anybody at that point. But she did turn around, this, this medium. She turned around and she just said, the man in the blue sweater over there, your your life is about to change. I went, oh, okay. And um, and I was thinking, what's this? You know, am I going to win the lottery? Am I going to get get off with the girlfriend that I was chasing after? And uh, I said, in what way is it going to change? She said, they're not telling me. And she was holding her hand to her head like she was communicating. And then she said, they're not. All they're saying is it's going to be big. Be ready for it. Be prepared, and uh, you'll be supported. And I said, okay. So that was it. And um, so looking back now, I realized well pretty much soon after my near-death experience that that was a warning of uh, what was about to come that big change that was about to happen in my life was going to be that accident that i was going to survive against all odds and my near-death experience which um was to change my life you know forever so yeah 
I don't think any amount of foreknowledge or preparation could have helped you in that moment. You know, but then again, you did say that all these things would come into your head, things that might sound a little daft, but actually life-saving. James Bond, you know, what would he do? So yeah. deep down in your subconscious, you were tapping into survival instincts. So maybe on a subconscious level, you were ready to survive. The notion of children, how they relax, they go limp to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So in an odd way, deep in your subconscious, there was a level of preparation going on. After all of this, you find yourself with new gifts from spirit. That's right, yeah. You have near-death experience-inspired paintings and near-death experience classical symphonies. Your debut near-death inspired symphony, The Divine Light, premier concert was completely sold out mm. and received a standing ovation. That's right. <laughs> so how? So what happened? So I well, take it before this, you didn't have this ability to draw and paint and create music. No, I mean, I enjoyed drawing when I was a kid, but I left school without any qualifications and because of my dyslexia. And yeah. so so I didn't go down that road at all. And I played when I when I was younger, I played in a few bands, you know, three chord wonder sort of punk rock and roll bands, but nothing to the to the stage where I'd be able to write for, for orchestra uh, at all. Um, so <laughs> it all came as a bit of a a big surprise but in saying that it all felt like it was kind of normal as well that's that's the odd thing about it because again i knew that i was being educated as i call it from still from the other side they were helping me though I, I i was channeling ideas through right from the off i mean how it all started was um my sister came to see me in hospital the very first night after i'd been through like an eight-hour operation and uh, she, they'd given me my own room, which is really nice. And I was just nice and peaceful in there. And so she turned around at the end and she said, look, you know, as a sister would do, she said, is there any, anything I can get you? And I said, yeah, can you get me a small A5 sketch pad and, and a pencil? And she went, okay. <laughs> and uh, she went along with it, you know, and she brought it in. And I got the nurses to prop me up in bed because I could hardly move. So, so I could very faintly sketch this out what I'd seen because I was so scared that I was going to forget it or lose it, which of course I never have done. Um, but I've got, I've still got it. I've still got this very faint sketch that I did. And that turned out that was the, the basis for the first painting that I did. So once I was well enough, or, in fact, all the time I was in hospital, even though I couldn't move, I kept thinking to myself, I can't wait to start this painting. I thought it's got to be a huge, like, Renaissance star, big canvas, you know, like you're seeing walking through the Vatican walls, you know. And uh, so that was my plan, and I, that's what I wanted to do. And when I started doing that painting, it was quite remarkable because obviously I was apprehensive at first, you know, and I looked at it, I thought, can I do this? Can I pull it off? But once I started it, it was just coming together with such ease. And I felt like I was being educated from somewhere else. And I knew that somewhere else was the place I'd just come from. And I was being guided to paint onto the canvas. And um, and I went from doing that one canvas to many, many more. You know? The music came about, that was that was basically because what had happened was some a couple of friends uh, that I'd met uh, ran their own sort of Pilates um, yoga center. And they said to me, when I was starting the first canvas, you know, they said, look, we've, we've got a room, like an attic room you can use for a week if you want to do your painting. And I said, okay, because I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll knock it off in a week, which, which of course I didn't. Yeah. And they loved having me there because people were coming up keen to see what was going on. 
and they loved the spiritual aspect of it all when I told them the story. So they said, look, you can stay. And I ended up staying there for two years, rent-free. Wow. You know, they didn't charge me anything. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, so they're obviously very close friends now and stuff, and they're in the book, you know, because they're, they're you know, they're, they're tremendous. But anyhow, so when I was doing those paintings, one of the people who was going to the Pilates class was, was a, a cello player in the local orchestra. And we got chatting and stuff, and she said, look, can I use one of your paintings for, for our next poster? And I said, yeah, please do. So they photographed it and used that. And then I got to become friends with her. I started having spiritual healing. I discovered, because I was determined to find this little spiritualist church where I'd had that reading, because I wanted to try and find out about that medium that I'd met. And when I walked through the door, they said, oh, you look like you could do with some healing. I was pretty, you know, mashed up at that point, you know. And they said, we we don't normally say this, but we do spiritual healing. I said, great, so I'll come along. And while I was having those sessions, but some of the healers, they, they, were, they would be clairvoyance, and they, they'd get just little messages through at the end of the healing sessions. And I kept getting these one. Each one would be saying things like, oh, why am I seeing a violin on your chest? And they'd say, oh, one of them would say, I think you're going to write some music about your experience. So being a guitarist, I couldn't play anymore because my left arm got bashed up. And, and I thought, well, I've got this old synthesizer in the cupboard. So I pulled that out mm. and started writing a few chords on that, thinking I was going to write a three-minute song about what my experience, you know. Um, but it, it started sounding like it was going to be more classical. And, and I remember I met my this, the girl cellist for, a, for coffee one day, and she said, what have you been up to? And I said, well... I'm writing this piece of music. And I said, it sounds like it could be played by an orchestra. She said, oh, maybe we could do it, and then laughed. So I held her to that. <laughs> I thought, right, I'm going to work really hard and get this, pull this together. And uh, and I did. And then my brother turned around and he said, well, look, I've got this app that you can have, you know, and it's like a package, and you can, you know, drive it off your computer. And basically what you play on your, the chords that you're playing on your, on your synthesizer, it will sort of, translate it into notation which is what i did yeah so it was like i was able to play it in then it would you know it would because i can't read a a single note of music to this day and so i was hearing all these instruments coming into my head and i thought that sounds like you know like a horn coming in from the distance and then that then i'd find out well i need a french horn for that so so i'd end up writing all the parts and then you'd have to name all the different parts and what it plays for and stuff and then i just printed off this music and uh, told my friend in the orchestra about it. She said, okay, we'll meet for coffee. And so she brought like the leader of the orchestra along with her. And they looked at the score and they said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And to my amazement, I thought, brilliant, you know. And um, it went from that to uh, the local press, you know, she said, oh, the local press normally do, do a little paragraph about the next concert. Are you okay to, to talk to them about your piece? I said, oh, that'd be brilliant. So I started talking about what it was about because it was about my near-death experience. And then it went from that to the phone kept ringing and then it went from that to the BBC, got in touch and they wanted to come and film the rehearsal and interview me. And then it sold out two weeks in advance, which was tremendous. And, uh, and so the orchestra was delighted. And uh, and then the concert was just uh, really, it was, it was like a magical atmosphere that night and that's just not me saying it because it was me my piece being performed you know it was something that was unanimous you know and uh they finished performing it you know and um 
we, we had my family and I had front row seats given to us, you know, and my mum just turned around with tears in her eyes. So that was just beautiful. And then we hugged. And then, yeah, oh, yeah, it was really, you know, really wonderful moments. And then my sister then was going, David, David, look. And we, I looked over my shoulder and there's a standing ovation. It was like, what? So, yeah, so it was it was great. That inspired me to to write more. And I mean, well, in fact, I was just from that, you know, I was commissioned to, to write more pieces. And so so it, it just all spiraled from there. But to this day, everything that I do, every single painting and every single piece of note of music that I write, I still know that I'm, I'm channeling all the ideas through. So it's only a part of me that's actually creating all this and uh, that, um, you know, I'm getting this through. <laughs> from somewhere else and wherever it's coming from you know i always sit back on a good day with you and go thank you so much <laughs> yeah i thank them you know because it's just uh it's, it's amazing what how this is all coming about and you know would you say that the life you have post accident has been more fulfilling for you has given you a new purpose i know that you've gone through some horrific trauma you know mm. not just physical but obviously the mental trauma yeah. you know would you say that your life now is more fulfilling than the life you had before yeah. the accident absolutely it's it's a it's a complete contrast it's it's almost like um this life now is, is like you know pure technicolor and compared to my life before which is all very much gray matter you know very dark and and uh, you know, was, my life was just one constant struggle. I was beating myself up, you know, <laughs> throughout my whole life. I so, mean, I was just kind of felt like I was one failure after another, and and so, and I was drinking heavily, and and it doesn't help to sort of. It, that was my way of kind of trying to quell the flames in my life and try to deal with all every everything that was going wrong. But obviously, that it just made it worse, and I was just spiraling into debt as well. So yeah, my life before was just. Uh, completely i suppose linear as well uh, whereas now it's it's, th- it's a lot more three-dimensional you know there's a lot more depth to it and stuff you're absolutely right i, I did I, I had to deal with the I'm a, I'm a physical being you know i had to go and deal with all the mental trauma that happened I, it didn't hit me until six months later after the accident that, that i had post-traumatic stress disorder you know i remember the the hospital when i was lying in there you know they actually sent like a like a psychiatrist or whatever around to see me uh, because of what had happened and uh like he was just kind of saying well yeah he seems fine <laughs> but a lot of that was to do with the fact that i would i just had this amazing experience and and so i just felt completely positive about life and and it didn't matter it didn't matter what had just happened to me that's all I, but obviously that came back and hit me later on so um but yeah but generally speaking all in all the my life now is just it's it's, it's a complete contrast yeah it's incredible and i'm so glad that you've recovered and found a purpose and you can express yourself creatively i love this notion that you're very humble about it you've been somewhere and come back and you are in a tiny tiny percent of people that have seen beyond the veil yeah it's true um we'll all we'll all get to see it that's what that's what one i feel you know we'll all get to 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 see that beautiful in fact i i lost my mother um uh, last year and uh, it's amazing how how much it helped me at the point of the, um, her passing that I actually said to her, you know, I said, well, mom, I know where you are now and I know I know how much you're going to love it there. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's how much I totally 
you know know it and believe it to be true and uh, uh, it's you know it, it it awaits us all yes i got to like a uh, like a percentage of other people got to go and see it but i but i believe that that happens because each one of us that does come back after a near-death experience it becomes a part of their your life you you, you can't there's no going back on it you know what i mean it's kind of like it's um you, there's no denying it and if and you know one one or two people i know who've had near-death experiences you know every now and again they've had bad days where where they've done interviews or whatever and then they suddenly get trolled online where people are saying oh you're a complete fake and and it upsets them you know and but i always remind them say look you know that's going to happen we that's that's the that's where we live now and of course there's going to be skeptics which is fine you know i mean i've done interviews uh where with skeptics you know with, with uh, scientists and stuff but and everyone's entitled to a, to an opinion but um yeah I, I mean it's not something that either that anyone who's had near death experiences wants wants to preach we're not trying to say look you know yeah. you've got to follow this it's this we're, we're literally messengers saying look this is where we've been you know let's face it and death is a taboo subject uh, you know in, in western society and which is kind of crazy you know it's like because it's going to happen to us all we may as well not talk about it over our, our morning coffee every day but let's just chat about it and you know get it out there so yeah what do you think near-death experience can teach us about how to cope with crisis and do you think we all have guides and angels or these beings that we can call upon Yes, we definitely do. All of us have them. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't take a, a train accident or a near-death experience to realise that we've got them. Um, but, you know, we, we we never get a chance to stop and realise it. And and now is, is the perfect time with what's going on with the, with this pandemic. I mean, yes, of course, it's, you know, it's awful that, that we're losing people, people are dying. But, you know, there's another side to it all and that we've, been, we've all been given an opportunity to stop. The world suddenly just grant to this hold well a lot of people are actually that it's, it's quite lovely to see people are you know they're baking bread and you know cakes and teaching their children back at home and and nature's you know start, starting to sort of group up and and live side by side with us and it's, it's all really quite beautiful you know so i think that yeah a near-death experience has taught me that that that, that we can we can oh. <laughs> Barry Sheen. Barry Sheen there's, is here. The amazing guys come to visit. That's my moment where I just said that we're all we're all slowing down and you know <laughs> enjoying the peace and, and being at one with nature. And then uh, Barry Sheen goes. So yeah, but um, so yes, we we all got our guys and and um, and I think that it's it's worth as all knowing that and, and and not being scared to call upon them either you know because that's another thing about western civilization well well lots of civilizations that that prayer sometimes can be put into this kind of um you know you've got to go in with a sense of i'm not worthy and but please can you help me or can, please can you forgive me whereas i don't think it should be like that i think that your guides do want to help you and i think you can just call out even for the simple things even if it's like I'm really nervous about, you know, this guy coming around, a friend of mine today, and can you just help me to sort of get my confidence back up to deal with this scenario and what have you? And they, they will. They will help if you call upon them. 
Well, you can help me now, David, because that is an area in my life that I struggle with. There's a lot of chatter in my brain. It's a very restless brain. There's a lot going on, lots of thoughts, lots of ideas, lots of concepts, lots of negativity, lots of positivity. That's just the circumstances of being a bipolar middle-aged man, former alcoholic who had a who had a mini stroke, nothing compared to what you've gone through. And I find it difficult to hear that inner voice. How do we do that? How does somebody like me listen to the guidance of our inner voice? If there is such an easy answer to that. Well, there is. And uh, it's self-love because um, that's what I learned. I had no self-love whatsoever before. And, and I, when I was on the other side, I was given so much love, as I talked about, so much unconditional love. And I lost all sense of of guilt. I remember when I looked over to see if my family were there, I didn't feel guilt and oh my goodness, I've messed up again. I just, I, I was just chilled with it. And so it's just, you've got to give yourself some self-love. And uh, also you just said to me, oh, it's nothing, what you've been through is nothing like what I've been through. It, it is, you know, it's, it's all relative, you know, that I, I don't see it like that. I don't see, oh yeah, uh, yeah, I went through a much bigger thing than you. That's, that's simply not true. You know, you know, we, we both, uh, hit the uh, the dark night of our souls as it were and uh, and and but the thing to remember I, i'd say to everyone as well is that out of out of all uh, adversity comes um, a positive change you know it, it, it can help you to go deeper within and to and to get in touch with your higher state of consciousness and we, we can all do that you know because buried beneath all the layers we've all got these beautiful souls you know each one of us you are one of the most incredible, resilient, thought-provoking and wonderful human beings I think I've ever, ever had the pleasure to speak to you, David. Now, that oh. is that genuine praise. I think you're absolutely you. incredible. Now, we've talked about the accident and talked about the near-death experience, and we've talked about these incredible abilities that you, you have shown afterwards. But there's one question I know mm. a lot of people want to know, and that is, what happened to the girl on the train? We kept in touch, you know. We, we our, our lives uh, progressed. Our, our relationship became incredibly close after that because it's it's a, it's we both knew that we'd been through something really quite intense. So there was a there was an extreme bond between us uh, that, that continued on, and that relationship uh, is actually written about in Shine On because it's also part of the story. It's because it was also book deals with 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 me dealing with with that side of me that that wasn't very good at relationships full stop and and that accident and that relationship i had with anna who's in the book you know became a a, a lot more shall we say um authentic you know and, and very powerful very strong yeah absolutely wonderful now where can people read shine on and how can people contact you to find out more about shine on and your incredible work your paintings your music and so on Right. Well, well, it's now available for pre-order um, through Amazon. So that's that's your best bet if you want to pre-order it. Please do. That'd be great. Any information you want to find out about me, the best thing to do is go to my website, which is called shineonthestory.com. And all the links are on there. Uh, you can listen to the music free of charge for the, 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 the first piece I just talked about. And then all my paintings, you can access the paintings on there. And all things like, the, you know, my Facebook page and uh, Instagram page where if you want to follow me, that's great because that's like a community that's growing. Then I keep everybody updated as to what's going on, like interviews and up and coming things. And obviously I put my paintings up on Instagram as well. And so, yeah, so please go to that. So that's shineonthestory.com. That's, that's probably your best bet. It's all on there. 
Shine On is available wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon. It's on pre-order at time of recording, but it is at the top of the charts. It is the number one new release in America for reincarnation and near-death experience. It is huge. This book is absolutely phenomenal, okay? Visit shineonthestory.com for more information about the book, about the art, about the music, right? And Shine On is an incredible book. Shine On is something most of us could only imagine. Shine On is that book that gives us hope, inspiration during our most difficult times. And today, as we record this, the world is in crisis. And now more than ever, we need stories of hope, of recovery, of growth and self-love. And Shine On is that miracle in written form. David's life is a miracle. And Shine On, available from wherever books are sold, is part of that miracle that you can be part of. Rise like David has. Rise and grow and reach for the light. Shine On is truly astonishing. Don't take my word for it. Read it. It's on e-reader, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Hive, wherever books are sold. Head over to shineonthestory.com for more. This guy, this guy you just listened to, he is one of a kind. So, David, thank you for your time. Please, could you leave our listeners with a final thought, just something to leave them with. Well, ultimately, do not be afraid of death. Talk about it, think about it a bit more, as I say, and uh, just know that, that the soul lives on. And uh, when, when we all reach that stage, it goes on to a very, very beautiful place. I can assure you, you're going to love it. <laughs> Everyone, that is a wonderful sentiment. That is David Author of Shine On, the remarkable story. Actually, you say it for me because it's quite a mouthful. Go for it, David. <laughs> I'm more dyslexic than you. <laughs> <laughs> Shine on the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journey to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Now, if that's not Ron Seal, nothing is. That is exactly what the book is about. It's an incredible book. David, thank you so much. I will have you back on very soon because we've got lots more. We've got more rabbit holes to go down to. Please keep safe, sir, and thank you so much for your generous time. Thank you, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>